Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Metroscope, an Entercom Portland public affairs program. I'm Preston Highfield. Joining us this time on Metroscope is Cheryl Bickle. She's the principal and lead teacher of the nonprofit Community Transitional School, Portland's pre-K through 8th grade school for children whose families are homeless or in transition. Cheryl was actually the first teacher hired at CTS when it started back in 1990 at the Portland YWCA. She currently teaches a combined third through fifth grade class, along with being principal. CTS helps its at-risk students develop the academic and social skills and character strengths they need to succeed in school and in the future to break out of a life of poverty and homelessness. The school's purpose is to provide these at-risk children with a stable educational environment that promotes their personal and academic growth. And today we'll discuss the founding of the Community Transition School, the people it serves, the coat drive that's going on, how you can donate, and much more. Uh, But first, Cheryl, uh, thanks for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you here. Um, So let's start with you. You were the first teacher hired at CTS back in 1990. So tell us a little bit about how you originally got involved with the school. Well, I I was living in Seattle, and my family was moving to Portland. My husband was already here. He had taken a job with Sequin, and he heard on the radio that there was going to be a new school um, sort of not quite a part. It was presented as a partnership between Portland Public Schools and the YWCA, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty um, like I have had some experience working with homeless children, and I applied for it, and that's how I got the job, and I was the first employee, and when we started, we had nothing. We had bare rooms. I thought we were on the second floor of the YWCA in small little rooms and along a hallway and then we had a playground on the third floor it was an outdoor of course there was a fence but if the balls went on the safeway next door the balls just always stayed on the roof and then of course it got to be the people down below had to watch out for the balls coming over the side but that was the start and we were there for five years and then we moved out of that building and then we became our own private nonprofit. In 1998, so we could focus on the mission of the school entirely. Mm-hmm. And I was reading on your website, and again, for anyone interested, you can check it out, transitionalschool.org. They have a couple different tabs up there. You can uh, learn about the program, find out where to donate, uh, check out photos, and a little bit about the school itself as well. I'm sure all of these topics are what we'll dive into uh, today as well, but um, tell us a little bit about kind of the foundation uh, of the school. And I know uh, reading on your website, you guys have moved buildings many times before finally settle, settling in. It looks like uh, in 2007, 2008, you bought your own uh, piece of land and you'd been able to kind of stay there ever since, if I have that right. So just tell right. us a little, we t- did. Tell us we a little bought, bit about that. We just got tired of moving around. As, as the school got larger, it was harder to find temporary you know, housing for the school. 
And we were looking around, and we um, were talking to an architect who was looking at different spaces with us, saying how we could transform them to work into a school. And he said, you know, this is really expensive to do any of that kind of renovation for a building that's not even yours. You know, why don't you try to build your own? And so I thought, well, I never really thought about doing that. And then I saw a piece of land. I was coming home from Costco. I live in northeast Portland. And I was going on the part where it goes into Killingsworth. And there was this piece of land on the corner for sale. And I called and they said, um, the land is sold, but the last day for the deal to go through is tomorrow. This was on a Sunday. And so on Monday they called and said the deal fell through. And then we... Um, made the offer and of course we had not raised one penny hmm. and so then we had to really scramble and we raised the money and built the school in 18 months and wow. that was really but we had a lot of help from the community and really the community has always helped our school mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's because people do believe that people need a helping hand they need um someone to help level the playing ground for them especially if they're a child but also that education can make the difference. Mm-hmm. It is a key. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree with that, mm-hmm. and I can totally see where you're where you're coming from there. Cheryl Bickle, the principal and lead teacher for uh, a lead teacher of the nonprofit community transitional school uh, in Portland, pre K through eighth grade, uh, are the children. Uh, who go there, ages four to fourteen, is kind of the general age range. Um, tell us a little bit about. The children who CTS teaches, because uh, I think this is really cool. Um, what you guys do—it's it, these are children who come from families who are uh, unstable or don't have reliable housing at the moment, or maybe are just getting into reliable housing. But tell us a little bit about uh, these children that you guys serve. Well, they're kids that live all over metropolitan Portland. We our buses go to downtown. And they go a bit into North Portland, and they go all the way out to Gresham. So it's really on the east side of the river primarily, except for the downtown area. And the um, kids move are typically, they will they enroll in our school when they don't have permanent housing. And they maybe are in a shelter, or they're maybe um, living in a motel, and they move from motel to motel. Um, this year, we've had the largest number of kids living in their car, their automobile, and or they also go in amongst all those places, and then they all start maybe staying for two days with a friend or a family member. So there's no really stable kind of housing. And so the advantage of our school is wherever they move, if they just call by noon, if they're moving today and get us the address by noon, we will go there tomorrow and pick them up. So they don't hmm. really have to miss school. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and how do these students get enrolled in your program? Well, over the telephone. They, the parents find out about the school or the shelters or the, will give them an option of going to the neighborhood school, the shelter, or our school, and they will call, and we just enroll them over the phone. Occasionally a parent will come in and see the school ahead of time, and but most of the enrollment is over the phone and the first time the kids are come to the school it's their first day they have no idea what the school looks like or anything hmm. 
And then, and the school's located six six zero one Northeast Killingsworth Street mm-hmm. uh, in Portland. Nine seven two one eight is the zip code there. And are you comfortable with me handing out the the phone number and the email? Sure, that's oh, fine, no okay. problem. Okay, so five zero three two four nine eight five eight two five zero three two four nine eight five eight two, and then the email is ct school at comcast.net. Uh, again, their website is www.transitionalschool.org, and you can even check out their Facebook page, Community Transitional School, uh, on there. I guess a natural follow-up to your last answer is you talk about some of these students who uh, get enrolled over the phone and who are living at a friend's house or living on the street or living in their mm-hmm. car. I mean, mm-hmm. it, how do you guys try to kind of help accommodate their families with or them with shelter or how does that work i mean you, i i think what you said earlier which is a great effort is you pick them up from um <clears throat> wherever they're at so that they can make it to school on time uh in certain instances but yeah i mean how does it it, it must be kind of um i don't know odd to send a student home after school knowing that um they're in a bit of a tough home situation how do, just how does that whole thing work well Okay, our main focus is to get the kids to school and to give them the skills that they will need to survive in, you know, their school life now mm-hmm. and also in the future. And so if you focus on the fam- all the problems that the family, you know, may be facing, I think you would be really overwhelmed with it. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is just the kids come in, we get them right away assimilated into the classroom, as I tell any new student I get, you're only new one day. You're the new kid for the first day. And after that, you're not new anymore. Because no kid wants to be the new kid. Yeah. Nobody wants to have not know anything. And I try to alleviate the stress by saying clearly when they're going to eat, where the bathroom is, whether they can go to the bathroom anytime they want to. Just so those things that kids really focus on their little minds can only handle so much change and they're not really thinking about academics right then and then you you know after you get all the things you know we're going to have recess and we're going to do this and when you've been here for a while you can get a school-wide job and homework goes home on monday and it comes back on friday and we have this and we have nike p on fridays and and mondays just different things that they get sort of a picture oh this is sort of a regular school that has a regular schedule, and then we start instilling in them our expectations for them to meet our expectations that you're going to come to school, you're going to come prepared, and you can leave a lot of your troubles at the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's very well mm-hmm. said. And that's, um, and I do, you do worry about the housing if we know a family's in their car, We'll make sure they have plenty of blankets. Mm-hmm. We also will try to connect them with different, uh, like people that are um, different groups that work with homeless families in their car, to where they can maybe get into a real stable parking lot that they have now. But and you know, we can recommend somebody for a shelter, but they have their own procedures. We can give them the phone numbers to call, but we really have no. Um, ability to really get them housing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we really just try to focus on helping them, like if the mother or the father gets a job, then we will pick up the take the child to wherever the daycare is going to be or pick up the child if the job is only two days a week. 
we have really flexible transportation. That's why we try, that's our big focus to keep that flexible so the families can succeed. They can pull themselves together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I and I, I yeah. by, by no means meant it as a slight. I was just oh no, no, curious. I didn't. I know people have asked us, "Well, do you help them?" And really, we're only, you know, we're we're just teachers. We're a school, right? No, no, I wasn't thinking that you were sliding me. Oh For no, sure. not at all. And but it's a natural thing. But we don't really have any resources. Uh huh. Nor do we have anybody that we can say, "Could you please." put this person on the top of the list mm-hmm. right and i mean there are yeah. there are you know uh homeless shelters out there for a reason that's what they they do and you guys are right. the education part of it um, right. which is of course tremendously in, important especially for all these students at a young age um yeah talk to us a little bit about that when you get these young students and you bring them in um why is an education so important for uh these young people who are going through uh, kind of a tough time well, because if they don't, if they start missing large gaps in school, the more they miss, the harder it is for them to be able to catch up and and succeed in school. Mm-hmm. If you you can notice it, like younger children who have had no preschool, that's why we started the preschool program, are really at a disadvantage when they go into kindergarten now, because they have never, if they've never been in any kind of preschool, they have no idea. I mean. Our kindergartens are pretty academic, and they just um, are already at below grade level, and they're only in pre-K. And so you want to really help those kids get the social skills and the academic and all the stuff that preschool is about. So when they go to kindergarten, you don't have to do that in kindergarten. Not that we don't do that because we get a lot of Ks, kinders that have had no preschool. Mm-hmm. So so we have to do a lot of focus on that. And then you just try to um, do a lot of small group teaching so you can do skills like if there's a – they can go between groups. If they really are a third grader but they've never learned how to regroup in addition and subtraction, if you have a little small group of other like kids without that skill, they can learn that quickly in a small group. Mm-hmm. So you just try to accommodate, you know, to make your curriculum fit a population that has missed a lot of it, school. Mm-hmm. Again, this is Cheryl Bickle, the principal and lead teacher of the nonprofit Community Transitional School, Portland's pre-K through 8th grade school for children whose families are homeless or in transition. Uh, she's been with the school all the way back since 1990. She was the first employee of the school, first teacher hired. Um, and we're learning a little bit about kind of the students that they teach. Uh, and how about the education programs themselves? Um, tell us a little bit about the programs that you guys have going on that the students uh, learn and, and go through. And um, what programs do you think you've seen have, uh, you know, the most impact on students over the years? Well, I would say the one that really, um, I teach the third grade and so what I see in my students, the one that's had the most is that we do, um, we teach reading by doing book group, not necessarily in the first grade. They do a more traditional reading program. And second grade does too. But when they get to third grade, we break them up into small book groups and do, you know, do literature studies, do novels, because we really want them to learn that reading is something worthwhile, that you can learn a lot about the world, you can learn a lot about yourself, 
we spend a lot of time thinking about um, working with the kids to think about what they've been reading. And I think that has been, I've seen the biggest change in our kids' attitude towards reading. Hmm. Okay. And it's, um, you know, we just call it book group. Mm-hmm. And so, and they get their, they have a little, you know, their own novel. And then, yeah, it's been successful. Are they reading books from a school library or are they all reading the same no, we buy, book? Or? No, it's, it's a book that we buy. Like right now, my students are reading Louisiana Going Home. And it's a it's the second, and they had Ramey Nightingale is the one they read first, and this is the second one, and so they're following up, and they're totally engaged in the story. It's a and it's a story that of the girl that they can really relate to. That's another thing. Not all the books can our kids that we choose can our kids relate to, but we try to find some that they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, um, then they can see themselves and maybe the struggle of the main character or, or the problems that are facing the character's family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a stable family, okay. stable school system and all that, but I'm, I am curious what, I, I haven't heard a ton about um, <clears throat> CTS or even schools kind of like that in the, in the Portland area. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of what makes you guys unique. Uh, and if you could, kind of localize it. I mean, I guess the natural uh, way to localize it is talking about the students who you impact who are uh, in the Portland area. But yeah, talk to us a little bit more about um, CTS and kind of what makes it uh, a unique nonprofit in our area. Well, I think part of it is that when you come to our school, it looks just like a regular school. A school that's recently built. It's like 10 years old. Our building is now. But it looks really, it's a nice space. It's not um, some places that nonprofits have are sort of that we have been in different times that are sort of dark and I, I don't really mean it in, in a negative way. It's just a really bright, cheery place that it definitely looks like a school. But you know, our kids can come here and they can leave. They don't need to be ashamed about being homeless or living in a shelter or living in their car. Nor do they have to. Um, they have to in. If you go to a neighborhood school, you can only live in that, be in that school as long as you live in that school district. So our kids can live in Portland Public School on 82nd in a motel and then move out to a shelter on 158th. Different school districts, but we can still keep them in our school because we're not tied to any one geographical area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think that is the biggest. advantage and the advantage that we have worked with this population for a long time. Like this will be, this is my 29th year, and the other teacher that I work with um, that has had a long time, she's taught with it, maybe she's taught 25 years with homeless kids. And then our, we have a very stable population of teachers that they've been with us a long time. The kindergarten teacher, I mean the first, second teacher is maybe this is her eighth or ninth year working with this. Mm-hmm. So that gives a, a lot of knowledge of what to maybe do in situations. Yeah, no doubt. And stability as well for some of the kids who uh, who are there as well. Um, what what does um, CTS offer students in addition to education, if anything? Do you guys uh, 
provide lunches, or how is, how is yeah, that? Yeah, we have the free breakfast and lunch program, the USDA breakfast and lunch program. We have dental, um, a dental van that comes two or three times a year that does free dental thing. Vision, a vision clinic that comes a couple of times a year and gets them some um, new glasses if they need it. We have um, different groups that come and work with them. Uh, one of the, I think, advantages is like there's a lot of retired teachers who will come and work with the kids, you know, in a setting. They have, they have an after-school program, and so they can, um, for the older kids, they can be in the, sort of like, you know, an, an outside activity, like an after-school activity. We have it once a week. We have a volleyball team that the parents don't have to pay anything for. And we play in a league, and we're the last year we came in third in our in the big tournament. So there's and we send them to volleyball camp. So there's some advantages like that. I think the biggest advantage is we have an understanding of where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like you'll water down the curriculum or you will change your expectations it's almost like we have we have raised our expectations of the kids since when we first started in 1990 yeah we expect a lot more out of them how many students are uh, in the school well right now we have 90 okay and so but it fluctuates i mean could be 92 tomorrow it could be 88 Mm -hmm. and um mm mm-hmm and so how many, I mean, if it's pre-K through eighth grade, is that, you know, let's see, quick math, not great at math. Is that, you know, more or less 10, ten students a class off the top of my no, head? No, well, no, work? because there's big groups of it. Like, I teach the third through fifth. I have the biggest classroom. I have 31 in my class. Okay. And then um, I think the first grade and second grade, she has maybe 22. The middle school has 19. The pre-K kindergarten has 18. Now, that's off the top of my head. It could be, I don't think that would probably add up to 90, which I saw was on the lunch count today. So um, I can see, oh, wait, I have the bus list. So I have 31, one class has 20, and two classes has has 19 each. So I think it's just my age group that there's a clump of kids always. I usually have the biggest class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Makes sense. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I think the uh, obvious question uh, out there that our listeners would probably love to hear is how do people get involved? How do people donate? And um, and how are you guys funded as well? I mean, for all these uh, for okay. all these ventures and lunches and um, obviously, uh, you know, just funding for the buildings in general. Well, we have a, almost a million dollar a year budget, and we raise most of our money through foundation and donor support, it could be corporate support, or just individual private support. We get one Multnomah County grant for $67,000, and let me think, we just, but we raise that budget every single year. Well, every year it's gotten more expensive because, you know, price of gas, you know, compared to last year is more this year, but it's about... um, a hundred thousand, a million dollars a year now. Okay. And we raise the money. We do rely a lot upon the community. Mm-hmm. There's a great, um, and then the community supplies the majority of our supplies, like crayons and books and 
paper and band-aids and all that kind of supplies. We have a wish list that they can choose things and then um, different groups donate to our clothes closet so the kids can get new clothing. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to get an occasional new outfit. It does a lot to your self-esteem. And that's how we raise the money. Awesome. And transitionalschool.org slash donate. You can check that out. Right. And, and again, Mm -hmm. um, different ways to uh, communicate with the uh, school there. Right. And we have a volunteer coordinator. So if somebody wants to volunteer and work with students, she um, will meet with them and find out what their interest is and what and if there's any openings in that particular classroom. Okay. Awesome. And I was just going to say one more time, the phone number, 503-249-8582, 503-249-8582, uh, or the email, ctschool at comcast.net, and the website, transitionalschool.org. Uh, there's a donate tab on there. Um, well, Cheryl, this has been fun. Um, is there anything else that uh, that you think we should get out there uh, to the community, or have we pretty much covered it? I think you pretty much covered it, and thank you for thinking of us. We really appreciate that. We were talking today with Cheryl Bickler, principal and teacher over at Community Transition School in Northeast Portland. Metroscope is an Intercom Portland Public Affairs program. I'm Preston Highfield. If you're involved with a nonprofit or public affairs organization, or if you have an idea for an upcoming show, I'd like to hear from you. Visit MetroscopePDX.com and submit your ideas. You can also go to this station's website and submit your information there. Thanks for listening to Metroscope and enjoy the rest of your weekend.